The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So uh, mindfulness is a capacity that we have. We have the ability to be mindful. It's a faculty of, that we possess that sometimes is operating and sometimes not, sometimes operating in different degrees. Uh, we have this wonderful word in English, being mindless. I was mindless, and that means there was no self-awareness, perhaps, no real awareness of what was going on, and um, did things, do things carelessly, doing things without really understanding what we're doing. Um, and in contrast to being mindless, there's being mindful, and the word full is a kind of, the, the, the suffix uh, full is kind of a wonderful little word, to be full, with a full mind, with a full awareness, uh, with the, the attention filled with what we're doing, what we're present for, and allowing ourselves to really be filled by it. So it's just really there with one thing, not distracted, not divided, but just really there. But as a faculty, as a capacity that we have, uh, it doesn't operate in isolation. Uh, and sometimes if we're only focusing on trying to be mindful, as if that's the only thing we're supposed to do, uh, we're not taking into account that mindfulness is, uh, works together with other faculties, other capacities of the mind. It doesn't work alone. And um, analogy for this uh, is riding a bicycle. If uh, you decide you've never ridden a bicycle before, you have to learn how to ride a bike, and you want to go for a, you know, 20 mile bike ride up and down the hills, and you've never been on the bike before, um, you know, you, you probably lack confidence, and you don't even know how to apply yourself on the bike, and you don't even know what to pay attention to as you ride the bike, and, and um, you know, and, and so it's kind of awkward at first. So you start, you know, the first day you go out and, and it takes you maybe a few days to even learn how to ride the bike. And, uh, and then slowly you begin to learn, well, I can ride down the street now. And then after a while you learn you can go around the block and you get the basic hang of what it means to ride the bike. And as you keep practicing riding the bike, uh, with time, then you, after a while you learn you can, you know, you can actually bike around the blo block, you know, ten times can go for a mile and come home. And so slowly over time, uh, you're developing a number of different capacities uh, that are needed to ride the bike. You're, you're developing some confidence in your ability to ride the bike and uh, some confidence and some ability to know how, what kind of effort to make. Uh, when you're going up a hill, it requires a different effort than going down the hill. Uh, when it's raining, different kind of effort than when the roads are dry. And so, uh, when there's gravel, you uh, bike differently than if you do on you know, asphalt. So you get a sense of different kind of effort and energy that's needed in different circumstances. And you learn how to, what to be mindful of. You learn that it's good to be mindful uh, of your surroundings, what's happening uh, when you're riding a bike. And you learn the consequences of being mindless, which I did when I was 14. And I was riding my bicycle happily down the road, and, um, and I ran into the back of a parked car. There were people parked in the car, so they were kind of surprised. 
And I was thinking, well, you know, I, my first thought was that they were responsible. Uh, you know, how could they be parked right there? <laughs> they just suddenly appear out of nothing, nowhere, right? I was just, but I was really completely mindless. I wasn't paying attention to what I was doing. And so I learned from that that you're supposed to pay attention. And um, so pay attention as you're right, you know, to learn to be mindful. And then I learned that I'm supposed to have sustained attention and uh, stay concentrated. It's one thing to be mind, mindful occasionally, but you know, you, you, when you ride a bike, especially in traffic, and dip, you want to really keep your attention sharp and really focused in the present moment and be present. Um, not staying in the present moment in a continuous way, riding your bike is not good. And then um, you want to be, be, uh, become discerning and wise about the things that you see and what you recognize. So you see a, a, a steep hill in the distance, you realize, oh, I think it's good right now to get some momentum going. I think now that's still flat, I should bike a little bit harder now to get some movement up. Or you see the gravel. Uh, at the same time when I was 14, I learned a lot about riding a bike when I was 14. I was going down a hill, and I was going to make, a, I think, a left turn. And um, at the bottom of the hill was all this gravel. And so I went down and dutifully made my turn and ended up on the ground because the gravel didn't hold the bike up and just slipped away. And uh, so I had no discernment, no wisdom, and understanding of what gravel means when you ride a bike. And so I acquired some wisdom about what it means. And so we acquire all this understanding and ability to see and be discerning and differentiate, oh, that's asphalt, that's gravel, that's a steep hill, that's water, um, all these things that we have to learn. And, uh, and as we learn all this, then the confidence becomes stronger. And so the confidence, as they get stronger, uh, eventually uh, I might develop the confidence. I can now. I think I can bike that 20-mile distance. I didn't have the confidence before, and uh, develop that confidence grows and grows. And maybe I'm still training to do to ride the bike, and I start training to travel in um, when it's raining. And after a while, I get confidence. I, I think I know how to drive, uh, ride bikes carefully when it's raining. It's icy really careful. And you know, so I learned what it takes there. I learned all these different times and circumstances how to do the bike. I'm tired. How do you ride a bike when you're tired and kind of weary? Oh, I think I know how to do it. Take it easy, pace myself. And so I learned all this different stuff, different circumstances. And at some point, uh, my confidence becomes a, a strength. And because it becomes un unshakable. Oh, I really know in many different circumstances, I have confidence in myself that I could apply myself on the bike. And so now I can really do that 20-mile trek. Because I know no matter what comes along within reason, I, could, I have the confidence I can do it, which I didn't have when I started. And with that confidence comes an unshakable persistence. Because to ride a bike 20 miles uh, takes a certain persistence. You might stop and rest, but you have to really kind of stay at it. You know, you can't just kind of pedal two or three times and coast down the block, half a block, and then, you know, decide to go home and have lunch and take a nap uh, or give up, you know. But you have to really, it takes effort. You have to persistent effort to ride a bike up and down the hills. And so to have persistence be unshakable. I know how to be persistent. I know how to take care of myself and do it just right so it's not a sprint when it needs to be a marathon effort, just slow and steady. I know the kind of effort I need to make, and I know how to be persistent. 
and we have confidence in this. We have, we're unshakable in our persistence. There's strength in the persistence. And then uh, we, uh, the mindfulness itself becomes a strength. It's not a, simply a capacity that we have on call that we try to muster up when we need it, but it becomes something that we have confidence in and we can really apply it and use it and it becomes unshakable. A big semi-truck, you know, blares by and it comes too close and we stay in the field of mindfulness. We don't get, we don't get lost in the fear, we don't get lost in anger and resentment and all these things that preoccupy us. But the mindfulness is so strong that the mindfulness kind of is like the ballast of a sailboat that keeps the sailboat upright. It doesn't tip over. Mindfulness has become a strength. And then the ability to stay focused and concentrate. Uh, again, same thing. This semi's gone by. We're not doing, we don't get distracted. We don't get pulled off. We see a beautiful sight on the side of the road. We see, you know, and, you know I don't know what it would be. You see an ice cream store and and that's enough to lose your focus, you know, and your persistence. And you're just like, well, you know, ice cream should count more than riding a bike. And so you get off your bike and you go to the ice cream store. And, and maybe it takes a few years before you realize that you've tried all the flavors and, it's, <laughs> and that, you know, you're supposed to be riding your bike. And so you've lost your focus, your concentration, your engagement. And then, uh, so the concentration and the effort you're making becomes unshakable. Very important if you're riding a long-distance bike that you really stay focused because it's so dangerous. Continuous practice. And then um, the ability to be discerning. You, after a while, you, you've, you've ridden your bicycle in many different situations and many different ways and many different kind of conditions that you have and um, internally. And so you become, uh, you have you're feeling your discernment, your wisdom, your understanding feels unshakable. No matter what happens, you feel you can figure out what to do. And so these five capacities we have become strengths. So mindfulness, uh, in terms of riding a bike, is important. But that mindfulness doesn't exist alone. It exists together with confidence, persistence, the kind of effort, uh, and it also comes together with concentration and discernment or wisdom or understanding or being able to see clearly. And these are the five, called the five faculties, um, confidence, effort, mindfulness, concentration, and usually translated as wisdom. And um, these, are not, these are ordinary capacities that we all have. It isn't like these esoteric Buddhist things, or these Buddhists are telling me to, you know, this religious cult-like practices and things I'm supposed to be doing, you know, this, you know, confidence, and my God, not again, you know, and this, an effort, you mean, these Buddhists coming with their effort thing, you know, like, get off it, these are all, you know, and then wisdom, well, now we're talking about esoteric stuff, and I have to read more books, and, you know, it's like, you know, it's just completely ordinary capacities that we're using probably in almost any endeavor that we're engaged in, these five things and other things are part of the ecology of mental capacities that are operating. In terms of doing Buddhist practice or doing meditation practice or what's called mindfulness practice, we're just highlighting ordinary human capacities that are operating in, in conjunction, in harmony with, um, with the mindfulness or work together. And so we can recognize them and know how they're mutually supportive. 
And what I wanted to emphasize today is not the list that's called the five faculties, but uh, the related list that's called the five strengths. And the five strengths are when the five faculties, faculty just means capacities, they may or may not be available. When these capacities, faculties, have become strong, they're called the five strengths. So just as riding the bicycle and training and being prepared, these faculties eventually become strengths that we carry with us. And those strengths can, can see us through all kinds of challenges on our bike trip. You know, we call on those strengths, those strengths are right there. And we just kind of keep going with those strengths. We're not going to stop, we're not going to hesitate in our big bike trip, uh, you know, because we have this inner strength, to kind of fortitude to keep going. We're kind of unshakable, un, un, uh, uh, discouraged, un, you know, flappable and kind of persisting and engaging in these ways. And so one of the things we're looking for, or one of the things that's possible in doing this practice, this practice is to develop these qualities inside of us so they become strengths. And that's very helpful because if, you have a st- if these qualities are strengths, it's like having strong muscles. And uh, as those muscles, as your muscles get strong, uh, you can have more confidence, you can have more continuity, more engagement. You're not so easily pushed around by things if, you have, you know, if you're strong physically. Uh, if you're strong mentally, then uh, you have a lot more uh, ability to be equanimous, not lost by things, not uh, pushed over by things. You're kind of unshakable and unflappable what goes on, simply because you feel this strength this, that holds you up, that keeps you going. It's kind of like... Um, 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 I don't know if it's a good example, but um, um, I don't know if it occurs to me right now. I don't know if it's a good example, but you know, I've driven across the Bay Bridge sometimes when there's been really strong wind in really small, light cars, and it kind of like you know pushes you left and right, and you have to keep really attentive. And I've driven across the bridge in really heavy cars, and it's not budging in the wind; it's just there staying and moving. And, um, and so uh, to develop these strengths gives you this ability to not be swayed and pushed by the winds of life. And so you don't have to negotiate the world so much. You don't have to figure the world out and what to do. Or, or um, It's just that the wind doesn't affect you so much because you're stronger than the wind. And so all kinds of things, when, you're, when these capacities develop inside and become strengths, then uh, all kinds of challenges in ordinary life can come up. And we don't have to be so involved in investigating and figuring out and, you know, what is, where am I attached? What do I relate to my fear here? And what do I believe? And what's really going on here? And all these kinds of issues that um, come into play, uh, which is a useful thing to do at times, but it's like we feel strong. And it's like not a big deal what's happening. Um, you know, it's you know you feel bigger than this. As the as the story in my little book, the monastery within says, um, if a um, fly ant lands in the back of an ant, it's probably a big deal for the ant. But if the same fly lands on the back of an elephant, it's not a big deal for the elephant. 
I mean, probably the elephant doesn't even know that its fly is there. You know, it's like it doesn't weigh anything for this. It weighs negligible for the elephant. So, would you rather go through the, this life as an ant <laughs> or an elephant? And um, and uh, part of the reason I say this is not because of jumbo or something like that in our culture, but uh, in Indian culture, the elephant is seen as being um, <clears throat> a very strong, powerful, mighty uh, being that represents the kind of the, the strong people, people who really develop themselves, are considered to be kind of like elephants. The Buddha was likened to an elephant. So where would you rather be, an ant or an elephant? And, uh, and I think becoming an elephant is more to the point in the sense of having the strength sense of capacity and and um, and so then you know all kinds of things that happen in your life not to dismiss them or ignore the, their their importance but uh, we're not pushed around by them oh I have a flat tire today that's interesting and the flat tire you know okay I'll deal with a flat tire I know what to do and and um, and there's this confidence a strength this uh, uh, that kind of somehow is stronger than the situation and so it's like we're not so, you know, we have, a, we have a resource, we have a refuge, we have a place inside that is supportive for us, that, you know, helps us be unshakable and unconfused by what goes on. An example of this for me uh, was um, <clears throat> when I was living at Tassahara, the Zen monastery. <clears throat> I'd been there for about nine months. And I was then asked to go work in the kitchen. And I ended up working in the kitchen for a year. And uh, the first, I remember very well the first day that I when it came into the kitchen to work. And I had never done any kitchen work before. And so I was um, kind of intimidated. The, the kitchen seemed, uh, and the place seemed really, really big. And I seemed really small. And that seemed like very daunting, and all the tasks. I mean, chopping carrots was a f- mystery to me. And I uh, had to be taught what to do. And, um, and so then a year passed, and I became kind of uh, the manager of the kitchen during that year um, at some point. And so in charge of the crew and everything. And, and, um, and then I remember the last day I was going to be in the kitchen before I was being transferred for a different job. And I rem- that day, I remember what it was like to be in the kitchen the first day where the kitchen was so big and I was so small. And the last day, the kitchen was really small and I was big. I, you know, I don't think they made the kitchen any bigger during that year. And I don't think I grew much. I was already an adult. It was all in my head, you know, and uh, my perception of things. <clears throat> and so this idea I'd become confident and strong and capable and wise about how to be in the kitchen. And, uh, and so I had mastery, a certain kind of mastery of being there. And it changed my way in which I was in the kitchen. And so by the last, you know, by the end of the year, if there was a problem in the kitchen, it didn't bother me. I just knew how to take care of it and how to fix for it. Um, remember once we had, uh, we, I think we either dropped the lunch or the floor, or we burned it or something. And uh, there was, you know, the whole lunch that we were supposed to serve, everyone was, had disappeared, I think it was, it was certainly less than 10 minutes before it was due to be served. 
So what do you do? I knew what to do. It was not a problem. Uh, what you do is uh, let you know in case this happens to you. <laughs> you go get the cabbage. And cabbage can be cut and washed really fast. And you, so we just like wailed, we got the team together, and we just wailed away at the cabbage. And one person had chopped uh, tofu into blocks. And then uh, we threw it into the wok. And cabbage cooks really fast, and, wok, and tofu heats up really fast. And you put you know, a little bit of soy sauce in, and, you know, and it's sesame oil, and, and it's like really good. So uh, in, in the time we had, we just whipped it all up. And as far as anybody else knew, that was the menu for today. <laughs> so, so this idea of mastery, of strength, you know, of knowing what to do, <clears throat> knowing how to stay present, knowing, having confidence in oneself, knowing how to have persistence, knowing what to pay attention to, knowing how to stay focused. These are all things that can grow and develop until they become strengths. So the first of these strengths is confidence. Confidence is something you can grow and develop so it becomes strong in you. And so in terms of this practice here, to grow in, have, grow in having confidence in the practice of paying attention. Have confidence in your ability to pay attention. To have confidence in the value of paying attention and showing up and being here. And having that become a real strength that you carry with you, that confidence. So you go about the world with a real sense of confidence in the practice of mindfulness. That confidence is consequential. It's not like a light thing. It's not like, you know, in, you know, Mindfulness is most important. Confidence is just, you know, who needs confidence? Confidence is a real capacity we have, and it can grow. In terms of mindfulness, the, one of the best ways to develop confidence in mindfulness is through experience, by doing it over time. And I know that my confidence in mindfulness uh, developed slowly and steadily, sometimes imperceptibly at times, but over uh, the years that I did it. And um, it wasn't an instantaneous thing. Like suddenly I had lots of confidence. Um, there was a, you know, I, I applied the practice in many different circumstances of my life. And I said, oh, this made a difference here. This made a difference here. Look at that. I could never have figured out how to answer, solve this problem. But if I was mindful of it, we seemed to find our way. Uh, mindfulness, you know, I just saw over and over again. So now I would say that, maybe I shouldn't make too absolute statement, but I would say that in most circumstances, my confidence in the practice of attention in mindfulness is unshakable. I have complete, I have such thorough confidence in the value of staying present and being mindful. Um, and um, so what is your confidence in the practice? What is your confidence in yourself doing the practice? What is your confidence in the value of doing the practice? How does that work for you? Have you ever thought about it? How strong is your confidence? Um, uh, is, it is it available all the time? Or is it come and go in different cir circumstances? What situations are you in where your confidence gets challenged and you don't feel so confident? If there are situations where you don't feel confident with the practice, uh, what would it take for you to cultivate and grow confidence in it? Would it require doing it in small steps, practicing on the edges of what's challenging? 
uh, would it uh, take getting more instructions and, and help have someone explain to you a little bit uh, you know how the practice can work in challenging situations so you get some guidance uh, would it help if you failed more often <laughs> uh, uh, failure is one of the best ways to learn there's a little cliche wisdom comes from experience and experience comes from failure so to learn from our mistakes learn how it you know and to, and and learn you know not give up not not to lose confidence but say okay given that didn't work so well today i'm going to try again tomorrow that was one of the one of the other things i learned so much being a cook in the monastery uh, one of the great things about the being a cook in the in the monastery was that um Kind of every meal you started over, you got a f- clean slate. Every day you got a clean slate. So it didn't matter how terrible the meal was the day before. Uh, you could have burned it or failed, it was awful. But the next day you got to try again. And this idea, oh, I get to try again. I used to be excited. I get to try again. I, rather than being weighed down by what happened yesterday, they, in the monastery at least I felt like fresh. Every day I woke up, oh, well, that was yesterday, but I get to try again. So this confidence, this willingness to try, show up, engage. So confidence supports a strength in persistence. And persistence is an alternative translation for the second faculty, usually translated into English as effort. But persistence, the word in Pali is virya, which for better or worse, is a direct cognate, or direct is the right word, but in the way the Indo-European languages work, is a cognate to the English word uh, viral. And so, uh, and in in, um, in Pali, it's more closely connected to the word being a, a, her- a hero. Hero is vira. And so kind of, so we're not talking about just kind of like, oh, I'll make some effort here. Uh, the emphasis is something heroic or strong or courageous. And that becomes a strength. So some of you might feel daunted or discouraged that I'm referring to languages of strength here today. So, oh, I'll never be strong. You know, this is too much of a bar, you know. Uh, too high or too much to do. And I thought Buddhism was all about just accepting myself for who I am and being kind and supportive and all that. But it turns out the practice of acceptance and being kind also operates under the <clears throat> support of the five faculties. You can have confidence in the practice of acceptance. You can have confidence in kindness. You can know how to make unshakable effort in it. You can know how to be mindful as you do that practice. You can have persistence, you can have concentration in doing it. And you can have wisdom. You need a lot of wisdom if you're going to practice acceptance practice. Otherwise, you'd have <coughs> naive practice is not so good. So, and there can be strength in having those faculties support whatever practice you're doing. So it might seem daunting, but I am confident that every single one of you, with practice and time, can become strong in these, in these capacities. They can be real strengths. And those strengths become a resource, a support, a refuge. Those, str- those strength becomes um, um, 
uh, something that helps you go through your life uh, with much less unshakability. You're not, you're not uh, uh, caught up in what goes on. And um, so it's, I think, so I'll say it, I said it before, but I think it's so important to say it, that um, some of the issues and difficulties and challenges we have in our life are benefited by the fact that we develop these strengths. So almost in some situations, we don't have to solve the problems that we're in because we have this, the strength to keep upright and strong in the midst of we're not shaken so much by it. We're elephants in situation. Some flies don't have to be swatted away. It's not just a fly. If you're an ant, every ant has to, if you're an ant, every fly has to be come out, got, gotten rid of. So if you become strong, there's a lot of things are not such a big deal. Maybe they have to be addressed and dealt with, but uh, we don't feel so discouraged or lost or, you know, troubled by it. So that's the theme for today, <coughs> is uh, strength. And uh, so what I'm planning to do is for the two other talks today to continue on this theme, talking about the five strengths um, and how they support us in the mindfulness practice. The five. The, the usual way that these are translated into English in our scene <coughs> is um, usually the first one is called faith. But I'm pretty confident that uh, the way that the Indian word is more uh, appropriately translated into English more often is as confidence. There's no perfect English word to translate the word sada, but uh, confidence, effort, <coughs> mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. Five capacities you already have. You don't have to import them. But maybe sometimes they are kind of not used. They're sitting there dormant waiting for you to develop them. So um, thank you.